right. We are here talking with Beth Terry. Uh, she's a resilience and stress expert, a keynote speaker, and an author, and many other things. Uh, she'll be leading two talks at our Women's Career Summit in September in Franklin. Um, so welcome, Beth. How are you doing today? Thanks. I'm doing great. We're so glad to have you on. Just getting to know you a little bit. Um, I know you've done a lot of different things in your life. Uh, just take us through your background. How many years do you want me to go back? <laughs> uh, I actually started my own company in 1989 after I had worked for several corporations as uh, insurance and real estate administrator and sales. And I just decided it was time to be on my own. So I started Pacific Rim Seminars when I was in Honolulu, Hawaii. And actually, most of my training was done internationally, Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, Guam, wow. Canada. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't do a lot up here on the mainland up until I moved here in 2001. Uh, just after September 11th, I decided being on an island was not a good idea. So I moved to Phoenix, Arizona and started over. I was 51 years old when I started over. And you can start over any time. Um, in the process of my life in Hawaii, while I was running the company, traveling 100,000 miles a year, I was also raising children. I've raised seven stepkids and a whole oh hand, again, a handful of, of foster kids that came and went. Uh, we don't call them foster kids in Hawaii. We call them hanai, but they came and went. And I whipped them into shape and gave them house rules and taught them self-discipline and self-respect and sent them back to their parents. Wow. That is a, that's a big job. That's a lot of, that's a lot of kids. Yeah. Well, altogether it was 12, but not all at the same time. Uh, 14, if you count my ex-husbands, but I learned a lot about, uh, all of the things I talk about. I don't, I don't read a book and then regurgitate it. I talk about life. I talk about things I learned on my own hard lessons that I had to learn when I fell flat on my face and had to pick myself back up. Um, and, and that's where titles like today is someday comes from. It's me talking to myself. It's, you know, someday I'm going to do this. Well, today's someday. So get off your butt and get up and do it. And then stop living down to your excuses. That's actually something I said to myself one day. I noticed that I had all kinds of excuses. Well, I've got these kids and you know, and I'm doing so much travel and I just can't get my body back in shape because I'm getting old. And I said, oh, for heaven's sake, stop living down your excuses. And that was when I joined an Olympic weightlifting team and started lifting weights competitively because I needed to get a reason to get my body back in shape. And so wow. that's where that came from is stop living down your excuses, start living up to your potential, Get off the couch, get out there, stop sitting around and feeling sorry for yourself and do something. That's really interesting. So you've mentioned um, the two course titles that you'll be leading at our conference. Give, uh, give our members a little bit um, of a preview. I guess we'll start with the first one. Today is someday. Um, and just, just let people know what they can kind of expect from that uh, presentation. In both presentations, actually, I go through different steps and things to think about. Uh, today is someday is uh, seven things that you can do to get yourself going, which, um, and, and the same with stop laying down your excuses. They're both different ways of looking at things, ways to change your perspective, ways to not take so many things personally, 
ways to detach yourself. My theory is we all carry around a bag of knives from all of the insults and all of the terrible things people have said and done to us and all of the guilt uh, that we feel for things we've said and done to other people. And we just keep accumulating all this trash. We carry it around. And then when we sit together with our girlfriends, we sit around drinking wine and then we pull knives out of the bag and stab ourselves again. You know what he said to me before our divorce? Do you know what my mother said to me when I was 12? Do you know how awful my life has been? And we're just stabbing ourselves. And, you know, nobody else is doing it. We're doing it to ourselves. So a lot of both of these topics are about just put the bag of knives down. Start being better to yourself. Treat yourself better. Be more conscious about how you create some of your own misery and then step back from it and look at all of the amazing things you are and that you can do and the people who count on you and and the life changes that you've made, not only for yourself, but for other people. So that's kind of what they're both about in different ways. There there are two different um, approaches to that topic. That's really interesting. I think um, sometimes people you know, focus too much on the external, right? And they don't realize that a lot of that negativity may be just, like you said, things they're doing to themselves. Um, that kind of leads me to a, a topic I find really interesting right now, which is the the idea of mindfulness yeah. and just paying attention and really constantly questioning and, and really being in the moment as opposed to just going through the motions. Um, do you feel that that's like a field that, that you, you know, are a part of in a way that you're, that you're telling people to be more mindful? Yes. I'm just telling them to stop doubting yourself. We get ourselves into the rut of thinking about the past. And for instance, people will come up to me and they'll say, I've been afraid to be a public speaker since I was eight years old because I stood up and gave a speech and I fainted. And now they are in their forties and they are still afraid to give a speech Because rather than being in the present moment, rather than looking in the mirror and saying, you know, you've accomplished a lot of things. You've raised a family. You work this amazing job. You're doing all of this. Be present with who you are today. Instead of living in the past, you're not an eight-year-old girl anymore. Mm -hmm. And and so we we doubt ourselves instead of living in the moment, instead of trusting in the moment. So that's that's kind of what that today is someday is about. And it's also, I think, mindfulness is paying attention to who you hang out with. Hmm. Too many of us will allow ourselves to hang around people that we think we can help. And yes, there are people out there who need our support. But if you hang out with someone who's always I, I call them Eeyore, you know, from Winnie the Pooh. They're <laughs> always Eeyore. Oh, life is so hard. If you hang out with that, you become that. If you right. hang out with people who overeat and eat garbage food, you become that. If you hang out with people who only make excuses, you start making excuses. So hang out with people who raise you up who lift you out of that, who don't let you get away with it mm-hmm. and, and be willing to step outside your comfort zone. Tell them about your dreams. Because if you say, well, it's really my dream to compete in Olympic weightlifting. Like I did, I, I, that's what happened. I said, well, 
you know, I think it looks like fun. I'd love to compete in Olympic weightlifting. And somebody said, well, come down to the gym. And I said, uh, 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 what do you mean? She said, come down to the gym. Right. So they walked, called your bluff. Yeah. And I walked into the gym and, and here are these women that, that weighed 40 pounds less than me that were lifting some phenomenal weight. And I looked at that and I said, wow, that looks really cool. And so I was 38 years old when I started lifting weights and I got a state record when I was 42. I, I lifted 165 pounds over my head when I weighed 128. Oh, wow. It really was a wonderful thing for me because then I was hanging out with people who were Olympic weightlifters who were eating right, who were weighing themselves every single day, who were really focused on health foods. I learned all of these things about honoring my body, about paying attention. And you talk about mindfulness. When you have 165 pounds over your head, you better be mindful. Or right. you'll be dead. Because even if you don't know how to drop that weight, you have to drop it behind you. I'm a split lifter, which means my leg is out behind me. If I dropped that weight wrong, I would have broken my leg. That's mindfulness. <laughs> right, exactly. Does that answer your question? <laughs> Definitely, yeah. That's a really cool thing that you did, um, to just see something like that and, and go for it. I think there's you know there's a lot to be said for that. Um Let's let's relate that a little bit to, you know, people's careers maybe or, you know, especially if they're working, you know, like one of our members for an accounting firm or uh, as an accountant for a for a company. Um, in what ways can we relate the idea of seeing something and doing it and not being stuck in that just everyday habit thing? Um, what are some of the ways that people can can be mindful about maybe where their career is going and, and uh, how they feel day to day with their job and just really look at things objectively as opposed to just being kind of stuck in their head. I think the first thing that you need to do when you are an employee is to recognize that you are not paid what you are worth. You are paid what it is worth for your expertise and your talent, skills, and productivity to get the job done for the company you work for. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. People get stuck and, well, they're not paying me very much, and so why should I try? And they do that to themselves, and that's shooting yourself in the foot. Recognizing that it's your productivity, the results that you create, that they are paying for. And the more results that you produce, the more efficient you are, and the more you can show your boss that you're a team player and you're there to get the job done, the higher your chances are of being promoted, of being listened to, and of feeling at the end of the day like you contributed something. So I think one of the first things you can do about grabbing, what we talk about grabbing the brass ring is look around and say, first of all, am I in a place where my talents and skills shine through? Am I in a place where what I do matters? And am I in a company that recognizes that what I do matters? And if that's not the case, what are you doing there? I, I'm not telling people they should not stay with their company, but I'm saying if you are not appreciated, how can you explore being more appreciated by your company and mm -hmm. how can you be 
willing to step outside your comfort zone and consider maybe you should be doing something else with that company, or maybe you should be doing something with a different company. Right. And what I've discovered in my life is when I feel I have nothing to lose, I'm happier, I'm better at what I do, and I'm more able to ask for what I need and want from my bosses. And I've had some interesting bosses over the years. I've had bosses that, you know, I had a boss that threw chairs. (laughs) I had one that was really angry all the time. And so what I did one day I said, you know, I have nothing to lose because I can always go start my own company. I know my value. I know what I bring to the table, but I don't think he does. But too many people sit around and they whine, they go to lunch with each other and they go, nobody appreciates me at work. Well, do they know what you do? Do they know how, what, what the value is? I sat down with my boss and I said, you know, when you yell at me, I'm not working. And when I'm not working, you're losing money. And you should see this. Here are all the things I do. Here's what I get done for you when I'm happy. Here's the kinds of things I can produce when you leave me alone and let me do my job. But when right. you yell at me, I'm in the stairwell crying. And because this actually is true, because nobody had ever yelled at me before this boss. And I said, when I'm in the stairwell and I'm crying, I'm not working. And the next time I'm in the stairwell, I'm just going to keep walking and I won't come back. And I thought you should know that because you're going to lose a lot of productivity if that happens. And he stood up. He said, oh, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. It'll never happen again. This guy never yelled at me once after that. He still got upset at other people. And people kept coming up and saying, well, why doesn't he ever yell at you? And I said, because I told him not to. And I showed him my value. After that, I started keeping a list of everything. On Friday, I would write down everything I had accomplished, and I'd turn it into him. I called it my Friday report. After three months of him seeing my Friday reports, because I was, and and I'm not bragging here, I'm just saying I'm very efficient when I work, because I was getting things done so quickly and so easily, he didn't have a clue what I was doing. It looked to him like I wasn't working. So I started turning in my Friday reports and I got a $5,000 bonus. Wow. And sometimes instead of complaining to your friends, sitting around at home, whining about your job, keep track. What did you accomplish this week? And show it to your boss. And if you're one of those people that sits there and checks Facebook and looks at cat videos and is playing solitaire at work, well, then maybe you deserve whatever it is that's going on in your life. But if you're somebody who's really producing, your boss needs to know. Because as a boss, I know as a boss, I want to keep those people and I want to keep them happy. Yeah, something I've noticed um, in that same vein is that uh, hard work, it, it doesn't just reflect well on you and um, you know, show you to be a person that's worthy of investment. But it also makes you feel better personally about what you're what you're spending your days doing. Yes. And you go home from work less stressed. Right. Part of part of not being stressed at work is loving what you do. And that's actually one of the reasons I left corporate the corporate world 
and started my own business because I'm kind of a lone ranger and I'm really good at getting things done, but I can get easily distracted if somebody's walking past and talking story and eating candy from the bowl on my desk. All of that stuff gets in my way. And I discovered that I wasn't all that happy. I'm a good, I'm, I'm, I'm not good. I'm great as an administrator. I just don't like it. And I discovered that I was happiest when I was standing on stage. When I felt like somebody was getting something from what I was saying, I felt fulfilled. And then I noticed I could work 10, 12, 14 hour days and not be stressed. Where when I was an administrator, I'd put in an eight eight hour day and I'd have to go lay down when I got home. So how do we reconcile that with, you know, obviously a lot of the people you talk to aren't going to quit tomorrow. They don't want to. Uh, the person, maybe if you're if you're speaking for a corporation, that corporation probably doesn't want those people to quit after watching you speak. So how do you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so how do you yeah. um, inspire them with with your story to find ways to to stay in their job or or be satisfied with their career or whatever that might be. How do you reconcile those two things? Oh, easy. Here's the secret. Treat your job as if it's your own company. Would you spend that kind of time on Facebook if this were your own company? Would you spend that money on some frivolous thing that you believe you need in your office if this were your own budget. And I always treated my job as if I owned the company. That's why when I when I left to start my own company, it was easy. It was just an easy straight across um, change because for me, I had always acted though, as though I owned my own company. So if you are a CPA, if you are the accounting manager, Make believe it's your company. And you know, it's interesting. My boss, when I left this second, this the second company that I left uh, before I started my own company was a billion dollar real estate company out of Hawaii. Fabulous company. Had offices in 16 states. I was in charge of all 18 offices in 16 states. And when I was sitting down with my boss, I told him I was going to go make myself a president and he actually wrote me a check to start my own company. He was very proud of me. Oh, wow. And I said, well, you know, give me some secrets. And he said, well, the first secret I can tell you is hire entrepreneurs. Hire people who think like business owners. Because I would rather have somebody who thinks like a business owner who only stays with me for two to five years than somebody who thinks like an employee and just expects all the decisions to be made by somebody else, mm-hmm. all the expenses to be paid by somebody else, and sits there with their hand out and waiting to be told what to do. That's really so. interesting. I like that. And it does relate especially well to CPAs because, like you said, you know, it's it's almost easier for a CPA to do to do things as if they're running the company than it would be for, you know, someone in another field because they have that you know, insight into the numbers and, and, uh, the math of the whole thing. Um, I like that a lot. Uh, act as if it's your own company. That's really cool. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, you wrote an article for the Tennessee CPA journal. It'll be coming out in our July, August issue. Um, and the article is about the one thing that never changes, right? Which is change. (laughs) Um, and it's called change happens. 
And in it, you talk about um, the five eyes. If you're in a management position, um, they're good ways to basically have the team on your side and to, to be an effective leader. Uh, take us through the five eyes a little bit and, uh, and how you arrived at them and what they mean, that kind of thing. I, I came up with those five eyes when I was the president of the National Speakers Association Arizona chapter. And I was noticing that there wasn't a lot the attendance was down. People weren't really getting all that involved. And I decided I needed to look at what I had done in the past when I was a manager to see if I could get people more engaged. And I realized as, a, as an association, people need to be involved. And so that's the first one. As a manager, if you need to make change happen, You've got to get the people under you involved. If you are just doing a change for yourself, I mean, if we're just talking about changing your eating habits so that you can lose weight, you have to be involved in it and and be a part of that change. Don't just sort of say, well, I'm just going to try this. So involvement is the first I. And when you're, you're trying to get change around you, ask people for input. And if people feel like they're involved in creating solutions, then they're going to be more willing to do whatever it is they came up with. The right. sec- and the second I is information. You cannot make changes happen without information. And the one thing I noticed when I was national manager of that real estate company, we had an incident where uh, we were going to make a change, but we couldn't tell anyone because we were we were public, we were SEC ruled. We also were huge in the state of, of Hawaii, and so if word got out, all kinds of mischief could happen. So we were keeping it close to the vest. Well, you know what happens if you don't tell people what's going on, they make it up, and people started making things up and talking to their spouses, and their spouses would go to their jobs and talk. Pretty soon. People had us closing, they had us going bankrupt, they had, and it was just insane. And we discovered we had had to call a meeting, give as much information as we could, because if, if we didn't, it would have just spiraled out of control. So yeah. involvement is the first one, information is the second, and then innovation. There are always going to be new ways to solve old problems, and the more people you get involved the more innovative a company can be. We can't, as managers, we cannot believe we know it all. We have not seen it all. There are some amazing new innovations coming out of these millennials. And and there's a lot of people that dismiss the millennials. Well, you know, they're in their 20s. What do they know? What they're bringing to the table is that they don't know what can't be done. So they'll say, well, why don't you do this? Why haven't you ever done that? And it's a wonderful thing to get people involved in the innovation process. So that helps change become a dynamic thing that they feel, hey, you know, I had a say in this. Right. So involvement, information, innovation. The the fourth one is incremental. Never dump a change on people at just 100%. You do a little bit at a time, small steps, Get people kind of used to the idea. Have people be a part of each step. They're they're much more willing to change when you do it incrementally. And then finally, stay in your integrity. 
I, I have a real hard time right now looking at some companies. I'm looking out there on the landscape, and integrity does not seem to be something that's being taught. And hmm. in integrity, it's not. It's more than honesty. It's about being who you are called to be. And and I have the quote in the article. Bucky Bucky Fuller says integrity is holding your shape. And you know he was a famous architect and designer. So to him, a building has integrity when it holds its shape. And right. as a human being, live what you believe. You know, remember who you are. Be consistent. Be fair. Um, it's it's so important. And at the end of the day, the older you get, if you don't have your integrity, you have nothing. It's yeah. not. It's not just my reputation. What are people saying about me? It's. I want somebody to know that if I make a promise, they can take that to the bank. That if I tell you I'm going to do something. I do everything I can to keep my word. And if I can't keep my word, I'm going to let you know as soon as I know so that you can make some other decisions. Mm -hmm. And so I think those things as a manager, if your staff knows that you have integrity and you're going to keep your word and you've got their back, you're going to get a lot more cooperation, a lot less pushback. Yeah, that's really good. I, I like all of those eyes. Uh, I think those are those are really great things to keep in mind. Um, and I think for our members, there will be lots more insights where that came from um, at the Women's Career Summit. Beth, where can people find you online? Where can people look for you? I am at bethterry.com. And then I'm also, I have two blogs. One of them is cactuswrangler.com. That's Wrangler with a W like the jeans. And then I also have one that's for the millennials with a shorter attention span called everybody'slost.com. Cool. That's great. Um, well, we're really looking forward to having you and um, can't wait to uh, see the article in the journal and have people come out to uh, the Women's Career Summit. Um, and it's been really nice talking to you. That was really fun. Thank you. That was fun. And I'm looking forward to meeting everyone. And the um, stop, li stop Living Down Your Excuses Come ready to think about your life and how you determine success, because we'll talk a little bit about how you define success. And I think you'll all walk away from that with a lot of information you can use. So thank you so much for inviting me. And it's been great talking to you. You're welcome. Likewise. All right. Thank you. This has been TSCPA Talks, a podcast produced by the Tennessee Society of CPAs. Look for more episodes coming up, and if you have a good story or know a TSCPA member who does, just let us know.